Hi everyone, this is Kara Orbell, your host of Going Places. Today I have Norm Shriver on my show. He is an author, travel expert, and a self-proclaimed cultural mad scientist. He is one of my favorite travel authors, and I, I think I've read three of your books right now, but I'm hoping to read a bunch of other ones. So, yeah, yeah. Thanks yeah. for having me, Kara. And I, yeah. I definitely owe you a few books. I have to mail a couple <laughs> of your way, huh? That's okay. Yeah. We're definitely going to do a part two once I've read your new one. So let's talk <laughs> about that. Like, what are your new books about? I know we talked a little bit about you spending time in the Philippines. Now you're at home because of COVID. So mm. let's give a life update to my listeners. Oh boy, life update. <laughs> I'm pretty boring these days. Not like back <laughs> in the day when I wrote all these books. But yeah, the last four years I've been living in the Philippines um, before that, for a few years in Cambodia, bouncing around Thailand, Vietnam. Um, but then when COVID happened, of course, in March, I got like an evacuation flight out of the Philippines because uh, shit was getting too real over there. Can I swear, by the way? Is it okay? Yeah, you're fine. I, okay, okay. Yeah, you can swear. It's fine. <laughs> um, it, was, it was crazy. It wasn't even a, this is like early March. It wasn't even a medical thing or healthcare thing where you saw people you know, everyone was uh, coming down with it and getting sick. It was more like society was breaking down, which was really wow. scary. And, you know, as a traveler, you've been to a lot of developing countries and you know that how things work. There's a very fine line between, you know, society functioning and being safe and organized and complete chaos and everyone fends for themselves. So, yeah. you know, it, it was getting really crazy. And I, um, uh, I have a girlfriend over there, but we had gotten separated Okay. Just um, not like not like we broke up, but I mean separated <laughs> physically. Like wow. she was visiting me, and she got a text from a police officer, a friend of the family, that said there's going to be this lockdown at midnight. You have to get back home, or else you'll be locked. You know, basically you can't move around. Mm -hmm. And we didn't. We were like, "What is that?" Well, okay, just go back because you have dogs at home, and I'll see you in a few days. And that was eight months ago. <gasps> oh my so god. Philippines has had one of the strictest lockdowns of any place in the world. It hasn't really yeah. helped them a lot with COVID, but long story <laughs> short, I got my ass on an evacuation flight and came back to um, uh, New York at the time. Okay. And like we talked about before, um, I thought I was coming back to safety, but it was really like, <laughs> you know, the, the worst uh, epicenter of COVID at the time in the world. Um, yeah. But yeah, I'm just sitting tight, working hard, hanging out with family. And um, hopefully in a few months or something, I'll be able to go back out there into the world. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think a lot of developing countries, like I know all of my friends from Guatemala, they're very locked down as well. Like they can't even ride. I was near Antigua. If you, <clears throat> I don't know if you've been to Guatemala. Have you? I haven't. Nope. I haven't okay. made it. I haven't made it. Uh, I almost said that far north because I was thinking I'm going to get Nicaragua. South yeah. north, I don't know, but I haven't been there, no. Yeah, so they, I was outside Antigua and you have to take a school bus. Um, I can't remember what it's called, like a renovated school bus into the city and they've shut everything down. Yeah. Like it's super strict. Everything's pretty crazy and it's it's pretty nuts how they've adapted to compared to how we have and it's it's interesting. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, we're doing a lot of things wrong in the U.S., that's for sure. Um, but it's interesting in those countries, it's not just uh, the healthcare, like I said, it's about safety on the streets and you're worried about, you know, looters and rioters and people mm -hmm. just going door to door and people, you know, murders and robberies and yeah. it gets pretty sketchy. So, I mean, you've traveled a lot in these places, you know that you, even in the best of times, you have to be careful. Yeah, know? definitely. Yeah. So let's talk about that because we kind of shifted to South America. So you wrote a book called South of Normal. I think this was my first book that I've ever read by you where you moved to Costa Rica and you, you had a really unique experience. You talked yeah. a lot about, <laughs> you, I you love your writing style because you get in the weeds. Like you have these crazy stories, but you don't, you're not afraid to talk about how like shitty an experience was, which is really interesting to me. It's good. Like I love that about your writing. So let's talk about it. I mean, thank you. How, yeah, of course. How, uh, what was it like? I feel like you've had a big shift because you left the, the, your working world, the business world in the U S to go there. So yes. how did you kind of recover from the business world there? How did you grow as a person? Yeah. Good questions. Um, well, I've always been a traveler, right? 
and even as both my parents came from Germany and are immigrants to the U.S. And so, I mean, you know, when I was like six months old, I was on an airplane. And so that's always felt natural to me. And I, you know, I traveled around the world with a friend, which is the first book, Push-Ups in the Prayer Room. So that was all like, uh, I think that was 99 to 2000 when I backpacked around the world. Yes. And then we're going way back now, you know? And, <laughs> we'll uh, talk about that too. I kind yeah, of bounced yeah. around. I'm not so basically after that, like I settled into the States for a while and I moved to California and I started getting into real estate and, you know, made a tiny bit of money for the first time in my life and basically becoming that the business dude that was fully settled that I never wanted to become, you know, wearing a tie every day. And, and it was fine. It was a lot of fun, but after a while it had diminishing returns you know, on your, ha on your happiness. I think any time in life, you're not doing what you're super passionate about and really what you were meant to do. Money aside, I mean, who cares about money? You know, it's, it's like you should really do what you love. Anytime you're not doing that, you get diminishing returns on, on your happiness. And so, you know, I was looking around me and I had all these nice things, cars and big houses and this and that. And I go, yeah, but is this, I mean, what I'm gonna do the rest of my life? Like every day is going to be the same and I'm just going to be paying stuff off and making money. And that's, I go, that's not me. And so I started thinking, okay, well, if I could rebuild my life and there's no consequences, of course, I'm not really going to do it. It's just dreaming, you know, what would I do? And I'd say, well, I've always wanted to be a writer. I'm sort of pretend to be able to write a little bit and try to be artsy. And I love traveling and culture and experiences and adventure, well, I would move down to the beach somewhere and, and write a book. And then it was like, so crystal clear, even though I was just sort of dreaming, it was like, okay, then do it. And then I was like, oh shit, mind blown. Now, now I actually got to do it. Now the hard part, you know? <laughs> yeah. So that was around 2011. And I had gone down to Costa Rica to visit a friend of mine, Pistol Pete in the book. Yep. And... <laughs> When I, when I came back, that was for a month, when I came back and I tried to get on the treadmill of work and you know sales and money and business and paying bills, I just couldn't do it. I was like, just no, I'm just checked out already. So I literally over like a four month period sold or donated all my possessions, everything, wow. and just packed everything up and closed up shop and got rid of houses, cars, everything, and quit my job and just moved down to Costa Rica. And that's where South of Normal starts. My, my first day there, huh? Yeah, that's awesome. How is your friend doing? Because I know you wrote about one of your friends ended up in jail. So you kind yeah. of were like a mediator between him and his family in the state. How is, how is he? Is he out of jail now? Yeah, he sure is. So, um, and I probably need to do an update to the book and have like a nice, you know, uh, afterward that everything turned out. Yeah. Somehow, I have no idea. I was not optimistic, but somehow everything turned out really, really well for him. Good. So, I moved down to Costa Rica, I had all my stuff. I was so excited to get down there. About maybe a month before I actually moved, I got a call that my one and only good US friend down there who I had visited had gotten arrested mm -hmm. and was thrown in like a little jail somewhere in the jungle there in Costa Rica. He was the only uh, gringo out of like 800 prisoners. Wow. It was just absolutely crazy. Something like you see out of a movie. <laughs> and so my very first day there, moving there for my quote unquote new life, and, you know, I envisioned myself with uh, sitting by the beach and, you know, a Mai Tai in one hand, a pina colada in the other, and supposed to be carefree and no stress and ah, your new life. Instead, the very first day I got there, I had to visit him in prison. Oh my gosh. Uh, yeah, and, and he didn't have any family down there. He had all of his friends scattered like cockroaches once he got arrested. So it was really up to me to, to bring him like food. They don't give him enough food there. Wow. They give him about like seven, 800 calories a day. And you know, you have to basically come up with money somehow to, to get more food. I'd have to bring communications from the embassy, from its lawyer, try to sneak him in money, letters from his family. I mean, it was just bonkers. So that was my uh, indoctrination into my stress-free, worry-free, <laughs> paradise new life in Costa Rica, you know? That's kind of awesome. That was one of my biggest questions because I loved, I loved that part of the book where you were like, 
I don't know. I like it when shit hit the fan in all of your stories because it made it so <laughs> relatable but funny. Like all of your stories, everyone can kind of empathize in a little bit, but we definitely cannot. Um, and I definitely will jump around to push-ups in the prayer room as well. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. yeah, so I'm on your chapter. I didn't finish it right before the interview, but I'm on your chapter where you talk, you talk to your sister and you're like, I'm very surprised I didn't die from all of my adventures. So you talk about going to Egypt and to yeah. Palestine and just crazy experiences that, yeah. I mean, out of this world experiences. Yeah, so this was uh, 99 to 2000. Um, being a good friend backpacked around the world for a year mm-hmm. and I think I think it was like 27 countries or something like that um, over a full year yeah and it was crazy I mean some places we would stay for a week some we would stay a month and this is pre-internet days right so of yeah. course there's internet but it wasn't accessible like no one had a laptop any place you go probably would have an internet cafe so okay. you know like once a week we'd be able to log on and send emails to our family like hey i'm still here still alive you know yeah that's crazy we had to take you know there's no cell phones we had to take photographs like old school film and then just get them developed or or mail them home and hope that they arrived and hope they didn't get lost so i did a lot of times i love taking photos but i also would journal and as we would go i just keep journaling and eventually i would type up maybe the last week's um, events or travels into an email and send it to, to, you know, 15 friends and family. And soon enough, people were like, wow, you should put that together for a book. And so uh, that's what I did. So fast forward 10, 12 years later, whatever, when I moved down to Costa Rica, mm-hmm. the book I actually started writing when I moved to Costa Rica was Push-Ups in the Prayer Room. Okay. So I wrote that then, yeah. And I, I completely skipped over your original question. Pete's been <laughs> fine. Um, yeah. He, he had some crazy experiences, you know, but eventually got out of prison. Cool. Um, he's still in Costa Rica. It's really wow. his home. He married his okay. sweetheart in the book. So that's oh. a super happy ending. Yeah. Cool. And now they have two beautiful, awesome children. And cool. they, they're just hanging out and life is good for them. So that's awesome. For a happy ending for him. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to jump around a lot. I think your story, I want to touch all your stories because they were, I don't know. Let's, okay, let's start with when you went to Costa Rica the first time because I think you had a very profound experience (laughs) because you lived in a pretty not so great area. You lived next to a bunch of prostitutes, actually. Yeah. Um, And one of my favorite parts of push-ups in the prayer room was when you bought a prostitute you nicknamed Porkchop a cake. And yeah. she was just beyond surprised and like, she didn't have any words because no one's ever yeah. bought her anything. Was yeah. that your first kind of experience with empathy and like, kind of, I don't know, is that your first experience where you kind of opened yourself up and you were like, wow, like it gave you a lot of perspective? Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm glad you asked that. I thought you were going to say, is that my first experience with prostitutes? So <laughs> I'm, I'm glad, I'm happy with the question as it's posed. <laughs> So yeah, we moved down to, me and my buddy moved down to Costa Rica and we were um, in this little suburb, tiny little town outside of San Jose, the main city. Cause as you know, in developing countries, the main cities are not so nice sometimes. So, um, and now it's a big bustling city of its own, but okay. So we didn't know where to move. We didn't like, I didn't speak a word of Spanish. We knew a tiny bit. We had no, we didn't want to stay at hotels. It was just a small yeah. town. So. Someone said, oh, there's this place, Apartmento Williams, and, you know, you could go there, and they have uh, apartments and stuff. So we go there, and it looks like a bunker with barbed wire and walls and all this bars and all this stuff. Okay, whatever. But the place was furnished, and the rent was cheap enough. And we move in, and then we go out onto the balcony, you know, like with all the shared apartments, share a balcony. And we're looking, and we're like, oh. Okay, it seems like we're the only dudes here. And it turns out that apartment complex, for whatever reason, was popular with um, prostitutes. And it's actually legal in Costa Rica, who worked in San Jose. But the interesting thing is they were all immigrants. So most of them came from um, like Dominican Republic or Haiti or these countries which were like super poor, like cursed by the devil poor. So for them, you know, to make 
$100 in a week or, you know, a few hundred in a month was like hitting the lottery. And, you know, they'd send it all home to, to their families. And so we got to know them as friends since we were neighbors. And it, yes, the empathy, it really gave me a new perspective that, oh my God, a lot of people in the world are just trying to eat and just trying to send money home and get by. Mm -hmm. And we became like really good friends and we trusted them, no problem. We would, you know, if we were gone, oh yeah, go in the apartment, grab something if you want. Like they were so nice. They would read the Bible all day. They never drank or anything. If we cursed, they would like chastise us, which was so funny. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so there was one that we nicknamed pork chop just because she was always like eating something and always eating a pork chop. She was a bigger gal Yeah. and uh, didn't speak a lot or anything. But at the end, uh, we found out it was her birthday and we got her a little birthday cake. And we were almost apologetic because it's like, this doesn't look fancy. We don't have enough candles. It's just a crappy little cake. And when we, we gave it to her with her friends, she was like, super silent and just staring at it and, and we were like what is she mad or upset and they're like no she's like about to cry because she's never had a birthday cake in her life before so that chapter it's funny you mentioned that because i guess on a human level people connect with that and sort of root for her and uh, a lot of people have mentioned they like that chapter yeah yeah i think it's it's in the beginning of the book and it just kind of gives us i think it's the first perspective of kind of how your story is so much more than just traveling, how you really did connect with people on such a strong level in ways that like normal tourism doesn't, I think. Yeah. I got to study abroad in Spain and I never really connected with the locals because my classes were all in English, or no, my classes were all in Spanish, but with American students. So that's something yeah. I, I could have connected with further. And I think you yeah. have such a great, like you have a very, good way of connecting with them and it's really interesting to me it was a good i love your book so i can't with push-ups in the prayer room it's sort of um you mentioned that chapter is the first time like a glimpse into wait there's more to life mm -hmm. than just you know vacation and adventures and resorts and nice beaches yeah and, and i didn't plan it that way but as i lived it and definitely as i wrote it there's an evolution i think of me as a person um maturity growing up and <laughs> getting new priorities and going from in the book in the beginning, there's a lot of like, Oh, we were partying and we got wasted and yeah. the stupid bro <laughs> stuff. I look at it now. I'm like, I sort of cringe when I read it, but yeah, I was being honest, but I think what, what I do like about that book, looking back, it really does track the evolution. Mm -hmm. Like if you get to the end of it, I was like, not to use a cliche, but I was like a spiritual pilgrim, just like wandering yeah. around the middle East, like, with no plan, crossing borders on foot, like being in places they've never even seen an American before. Yeah. And, and you know, and so it, it was definitely that evolution, but with my writing, I just try to, I'm not, you know, there's so many more skilled writers and there's definitely a lot better editors than me, and, <laughs> but I just try to keep it real, right? I just yeah. try to write like I would talk to someone and so I just always try to be honest. And, and so I, I point out my flaws as well as other people's flaws. And I try to like, you know, be pretty accurate with that. So I think that gives it some accessibility or vulnerability that people might like. Yeah. yeah. I think your writing has so much like, it connects to people in such a different way because I feel like a lot of travel writers tend to glorify their stories. So they say like, oh, we went to this place. It was amazing. Everywhere we went, it was amazing. But you're like, no, like it hit the fan. We got robbed. We got into a fight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, and we everyone, stayed in the shithole. There were yeah. bed bugs. We got robbed. We, you know, lost yeah. this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which is awesome. I think that's one of the best parts of your writing because it's so, so different and so real. Like you don't have to be, I mean, I think you're a great writer, but you don't have to be the best writer. You don't have to have the best syntax. You can just be a real human being talking yeah. about your experiences. So that's really powerful. Yeah, and, and some of my favorite writers that I, I, I've read in the past, like early on, they they had that tone, just a few of them that I that I would read. And it was sort of like a, a blue collar writing, where yeah. it's sort of just, you know, bring your lunch pail, just tell it like it is, and just explain the story like you were sitting next to someone in a bar over a beer. And so that's how I prefer to do it. But 
yeah. you know, to your, to your point about connecting with people, still to this day, even though I, you know, now I'm 48 years old and I've been traveling and living abroad almost more than I've lived in the States as an wow. adult. Um, yeah, crazy. But still to this day, of course, I like nice beaches and a nice, comfortable, you know, resort or whatever. Yeah. But for me, it's about those connections that really, really give me joy. It's sort of like finding out what's universal, what connects us all, what we all have in common, mm -hmm. which is even more and more rare these days when people, you know, political differences, cultural dif differences, yeah. economic differences. So like I could be at a fancy resort. Yeah, whatever. That's great. Which I'm usually not because I'm still yeah. all around the planet. <laughs> But I'll go outside and get lost purposely on some little dirt road, just start wandering around and walk through a little village and say hi to people in their own language. You know, you learn one or two words and play with the little kids. And, you know, and to me, that gives me way more joy and it's, it's way more real. You can't script that. You can't pay for that. And the nice thing is in, in Asia, you can do that. You can't do that in Latin America in most places, right? Because yeah. you're, you're never going to get found again. <laughs> um, yeah but it's a lot safer in, in certain areas of asia so you can sort of have those those experiences yeah. that's cool i yeah i was actually wondering about that and i think your perspective is so interesting and i wonder if a woman tried to do your perspective like tried to do your experiences how different it would be because yeah. like i wouldn't want to walk around at night or go like party like you talked about going to a, a random I think it was a random storage facility in Brazil oh, to go Jesus. to a, a rave or something with your DJ friends. Jesus like you Christ, that was one of the most dangerous <laughs> things I've ever done. But you know, when you're, you're young, number one, yeah. number two, you don't really know ignorance, bliss. Yeah. But that was, uh, I think it's called Lapas or Lapis. It's an area in Rio de Janeiro, which okay. is a dangerous ass city. And we had met playing basketball. Me and my buddy had met some dudes who were like, you know, young, poor guys from the favelas, and they were like hip-hop DJs. Oh, you got to come to this party, and they gave us an address. <laughs> Never thought we would show up, but, you know, we took a taxi out there, and the taxi driver was like, I'm not letting you off here. I'm not, we're like, why? He's like, I'm not letting you off in this neighborhood. Like, you will not make it back. We're like, no, no, it's all good. Our friends, you know, and yeah. somehow, you know, we just got lucky and surrounded ourselves with good people and sort of surrendered to the moment, and Definitely. And, and it all went well. But to your question, I often think if I had a daughter, what would I want her to do and not do? And definitely not yeah. you know, half of the stuff I've done. But I think women still can travel safely. Okay. Um, you could travel in a group. Yeah, definitely. You know? And a lot of, even hostels these days, hostels are great around the world. A lot of them are nicer. They're not really scummy anymore. Hmm. And you could meet people from all over the world and sort of get a group. Now, 90 something percent of the problems happen when people are drinking and at night, Definitely. right? Yeah. So if you're going out getting wasted and wandering around the beach, you're inviting trouble. I mean, that they're just, everyone's targeting you, but you Which can- Which is what you basically did throughout your book. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I'm a dude, so it's a little yeah. different, but as a girl, Definitely. but you're absolutely right. Um, but as, as also in the book, even through push-ups in the prayer room and definitely through South Normal as you go through, you'll see that as I go from being a tourist to seeing it through the eyes of a local, mm -hmm. I did a whole lot less of that, you know, and then you sort of, you could see risk. You go, okay, that guy over there is a coke dealer. That guy <laughs> hits up, you know, tries to sort of extort gringos for money when he's drunk. That guy <laughs> loves fighting. This, you know, yeah. people rob people on the beach. Or, so you sort of, start gauging the risk a little bit. But I think women could still travel, just traveling in groups and all the basics. Don't accept drinks from strangers. You know, just yeah. don't don't drink more than one or two unless you're, you know, at your hotel. Um, and you could still experience the, word, the world that way. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's so funny that you mentioned, or I think I mentioned Rio, but my dad's actually a pilot and Rio's his favorite city in the whole world. Really? So when I was growing up, he's like, oh, I want to go to Rio with you, but don't go alone. Like you can't go by yourself and yeah. we probably shouldn't go. And I was like, what's wrong with Rio? Like this is it's your insane. favorite well, city. Well, it's gotten even a lot more dangerous. I've been there three times. So I went again in like 2004, 2008 or something. Okay. And it's gotten even way more dangerous 
since then. Like a lot of um, wealthy or even middle-class Brazilians are trying to send, they were sending their children to the U.S. to study mm -hmm. or to live just because they knew it was a lot safer. Wow. So it's, it's really taken a downturn, yeah. But Rio yeah. used to be in, insane, yeah. Yeah, so that was actually one of my other questions. For how have you seen kind of the world change since push-ups in the prayer room <clears throat> south of normal? What, what are kind of like the main changes? Yeah, interesting. I think, well, I think the internet's changed everything, right? And, and okay. Some for good, some for bad. So you could get information about a place you could know basically almost everything there is to know about any place at the touch of your fingers. Yeah. That's, I guess, a good thing, you know, and, and I think the rest of the world has more access to information as well. Um, I think it takes some of the adventure out of it. We, we used to travel, like literally, we would make a whole year's worth of traveling based on a, a Lonely Planet Guide book that was yeah. two years old. And, you know, it would list five hotels or hostels and you just go and you see if they're still there and still in business. And so there was a, a romanticism, a mysticism, a, you know, a, a big adventure to what you're going to find when you get there. And in terms of like politically, I don't know. I mean, uh, I think it's less about countries and more about factions these days, mm. whether it's you know, this rebel group, this religion, this political party, mm -hmm. um, you know, it's not just USA against Russia or something like it used to be in the 80s and yeah. the Cold War and stuff. So it's a good question, but um, man, what do you think? Like you've traveled a lot. How, uh, how do you think the world's changed a little bit? Um, that's a good question. Well, you see what I did there? I don't have a good answer, so I yeah, just gave it back to you. I just, I just gave it back to you. <laughs> well, I think that's so interesting. I think, especially in the U.S., I do a lot of work with, like, seeing both sides of kind of politics. And a lot of people don't really hold for granted all of the privileges we have in the U.S., mm -hmm. Yeah. When I was in Guatemala, we learned a lot about the Guatemalan genocide and a lot of the disappearances that happened. Yeah. So I think, I think people don't really realize how good we have it here. Yeah. Even yeah. even low class here, nothing compared to oh, yeah. what we have to experience in developed developed yeah. countries. So it's really interesting to me, and I think I don't really know how it's changed. I mean just because I'm only 20. So I didn't really get to experience like, the good old days. How has it changed since you were 19 years old? No, I'm just joking. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't really know. Well, here's one thing. I don't know if it's how it's changed, but one thing I found that anywhere you go in the world, like when you experience people face to face, it's way different than your experience online or social media or this yeah. or that. And I found that people around the world are insanely hospitable. If you show love and respect, you're going to get it back tenfold. Definitely. And I've, that's universal. I really have found that to be true. And I've had people, like you'll read in push-ups in the prayer room later on in the Middle East, when I was in Jordan, and I'm like, what? You know, it's a 95% Muslim country. I was like, what the hell is going yeah. on here? <laughs> Every street sign, all their language, it's not even in you know, in uh, uh, English letters, so you can't even decipher it or make it out. Didn't know one person. Wow. I was just wandering around. This was my first afternoon. Didn't know where I was going. And some people were like in the doorway or eating in their house, eating dinner, but with the door open. And they mm -hmm. saw me walk past sort of looking around. And the guy comes out and he's waving to me, speaking in Arabic. I'm like, what? And he called me over, brought me into the house. Wow got another chair, sat it down at the table, got another plate, and they all like put some food from their plates onto mine. Wow. Yeah, and they didn't know me from anyone. And so yeah. those are the experiences you don't see, you know, on when everyone's arguing on Facebook or when you're <laughs> thinking, oh, our country's better, your country's not. Yeah. Um, people are people and it's pretty universal, the humanity yeah. once you get out there and look for it. That's really cool. Um, I had a question. You brought up the influx of information that we have now. Do you mm -hmm. think that all of kind of the the information that's on the internet and just anywhere you can find it about these countries, do you think it actually reflects what the culture is all about? 
Well, one thing you don't get off the internet is warmth, mm. right? That warmth, the humanity, the vibe, right? Yeah. So you could get the the nuts and bolts. You could get the prices and where to go and how to travel. And, you know, when you're young, ooh, this place is where the party's at. And this is the nice <laughs> beach and yeah. stuff. But, you know, in Latin America, like, I'll tell stories about Latin America and I'll say, you know, the food was awful and it was too expensive and we got robbed and I lost yeah. this and the place was a shithole and <laughs> polluted. Yeah. But it was an unbelievably positive experience because the people. And yeah. when you meet local friends and when you feel a part of things and when you're welcomed in and invited in mm -hmm. and you feel that warmth, that Latin glow, that warmth of the culture, it's yeah. really something special. And so that I think you have to experience for yourself. There's no, you know, no substitute for that. You can't, you could read about it, but you have to experience it. That's know? really cool. Yeah. yeah. Good answer. Good answer. Um, let's talk a little bit. I think one of my favorite places you've stayed was the King's Inn in Venice. <laughs> Just because it's such a shithole, but you oh, kept yeah. having troubles with your visa or you couldn't leave. And so you like, you talked about how every night you just return sad and then you surf down the stairs or something crazy on your Yeah, mattress. so this is, in, uh, this is in Caracas, Venezuela, which mm -hmm. is an epic shithole. And now, unfortunately, it's really, really bad. That whole country is sort of falling apart. But yeah. this is in 99. And at that point, Caracas was actually really expensive. Mm -hmm. because there was a lot of oil money yeah and yeah. so to get a nice like western style hotel or u.s style hotel was like way too expensive mm -hmm. excuse me so we were super on a budget i mean you could imagine for a year backpacking around the world and we weren't working as we went i had to make my money go far so my budget was like 10 15 20 at most a night for a hotel so yeah. finally we found this place the king's inn and it ain't no kings there, I'll tell you that. <laughs> but yeah. it was basically, we found out later that you could rent it by the week, you could rent it by the night like we did, or you could rent it by the hour, which is pretty interesting. One of those places. Yeah. But I mean, the, the door had been kicked in. There was like bed bugs everywhere, roaches, fleas. There was robbers. There was hookers, drug dealers, people passed out in the hallway. I mean, it was just epic shit show we were just disgusted we didn't get any sleep we're like we are out of here couldn't find another hotel but mm -hmm. i think it was like two days until our flight we were supposed to go to brazil so we're like all right we'll just basically you know suck it up and just stay here until our flight yeah. we go to the airport checking out so happy to get out of there almost gloating on the way out and then we go to check in for the air airplane and they're like do you have your visa and I'm like, what visa are you talking about? Like, I have a MasterCard. What do you, and they're like, no, you need yeah. a visa to go to Brazil. You have to arrange that ahead of time. Yeah. So the guy who I was traveling with, he was in charge of getting the visa for that, for Brazil. And okay. it dropped the ball. So we turn around, totally dejected, go right back to the King's Inn. Don't even, you know, the lady working who loved us and hated us at this point, we didn't even say anything. We just walked up the stairs to our room and we had to stay there for like three weeks more or something. Oh my gosh. It I was just that not awful. So by the end of it, the only way we could get through it and get any sleep before the bed bugs got us was just get unholy drunk every night and pass <laughs> out for like two hours. And so one night you're talking about one, I think it was our last night we were celebrating where we took our grimy mattresses and we were doing like a bobsled down the stairs or something, which they didn't really like that a lot, but uh, <laughs> Thankfully, we eventually got the hell out of the King's Inn, yeah. That's yeah, so funny. Oh my gosh, that's so good though. That's what I mean with your writing style that I admire so much. And also I think it's because I'm I'm so young, so I kind of see it and I'm like, oh my God, like these stories <laughs> are crazy. I can't even imagine. So it's awesome. Yeah, that was really cool. Yeah, um, thank you. Another one of your fav my favorite stories from this book. I know I'm totally fixated on push-ups in the prayer room. Oh, but it's all good. I believe me, yeah. I'm flattered. Yeah, so my favorite story is when you're hiking the Inca Trail to get to Machu Picchu and you get so oh sick boy. and you're dying inside, but you finally get there. Yeah. See, why, why you got to bring all the stories up that make me look bad? You can't bring one up that makes me look good, huh? Well, another story is when you gave, I, I just remembered it. I haven't gotten to it yet, but you gave a, a kid in 
I think it was the Philippines, one of your jerseys. Oh um, yeah. Guys, yeah, yeah. That, that still sticks with me to this day about how like, how you made their day, but you were so willing to just help out anyone you met. I think yeah. that was really powerful. Yeah, so yeah. I'll, I'll highlight your good stuff too. Ah, thank you, thank you. <laughs> but yeah, with, uh, with uh, Machu Picchu, of course, there's a few ways you could do it. And these days they have good roads and everything. So a lot of tourists just get on a nice bus and they drive them up there and they hike, you know, literally like 15 minutes up to the the summit and it's funny because they get out of the bus wearing all their thousand dollar north face <laughs> ski poles i'm like why do you need ski poles on a bus you know but we we chose to do like a four-day walk up the inca trail mm -hmm. and most people who are smart get quarters in fact everyone gets quarters. <laughs> and these quarters like carry your food your water your tent your firewood so by the time you arrive every night at your campsite it's all set up we're like, ah, no, nah, we'll save the few bucks and we're young and strong and we'll just carry our own stuff. What a nightmare. And so we were trying to make our own food. And like mm -hmm. one night, I think we were basically like camping almost in a swamp, like some lowlands. And we got the water and we, we boiled it, but it made some disgusting mashed potatoes. And yeah. But it, it must not like all the bacteria and stuff didn't die so basically i got jardia Ugh. and so i'm two and a half days into this hike yeah there's no first aid there's no hospital there's no airlift there's no doctors i could either hike two and a half days back or two days forward and get to the summit and so even though i was like i should have been hospitalized it was yeah. absolutely grotesque how much weight i lost and yeah. i was just stumbling on up the trail but i made it and yeah. uh you know, there's pictures of Machu Picchu. Everyone is like bright-eyed and bushy-tailed and taking pictures up there and running around and happy. And I'm just like so drained and just like passed out where people thought I was dead or something like that. But, yeah. and after that, I was like, it took me like two or three weeks to just bedridden after that. But somehow I did it. So let's never do that again. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> kind of a highlight. Like some of your stories are just like, let's never do that again. It was fun once. It's a nice low light. So, <laughs> you know, so push-ups in the prayer room, of course, is the first. South of Normal <laughs> is the second. Okay. The third is um, the Queens of Dragon Town. Yes. I have not have read to that. You. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about that one because I haven't read it. So you got caught in a super typhoon called Super Typhoon High In, right? Yeah, yeah, so this is basically 2013. So uh, Queens of Dragontown, it's um, not as literal as the first two. I basically okay. took all of the experiences, people I've met, places I've gone, things I've seen, even political stuff happening while I was in Asia, Cambodia, okay. Thailand, Philippines, Vietnam, and I, I said, how could I make this a cogent story since it's so spread out over three, four years? And, and I basically fictionalized it and made it into okay. one story in one place. So there's a lot of elements of different things, but they're all true. So cool. 2013, I was on the island of Boracay living there in the mm -hmm. Philippines, which is one of the nicest islands in the world. Wow. And a super typhoon came uh, rolled in. And basically it was at that point, the strongest typhoon ever to make landfall like in recorded history wow and the problem is that by the time you start getting reports of this and you really know how bad it's going to be and where it's going to come in mm -hmm. then you can't evacuate so i had like basically one morning to evacuate i went out to uh the ferry terminal and it was all these people trying to get off the island and they wouldn't let anyone out they canceled uh, all air traffic all boats wow. so basically we're stuck and we're looking at the the news reports and this thing is supposed to slam directly into this little island and it's supposed to be something you could look it up it was called yolanda oh, okay. locally, but hayan is i think the international name oh okay but i think there was supposed to be something like 25 or 21 foot sea swell Oh my and gosh. Like, and like 150 mile an hour winds. Mm -hmm. And I'm looking around this island. I'm like, we're all going to be underwater. <laughs> yeah. Like this is a little island. I'm like, we're dead. You know? So I literally thought I was going to die. And a lot of people did. And so mm -hmm. thankfully we didn't. Yeah. 
it, it devastated parts of the Philippines. It killed, you know, tens of thousands of people, but it, it, the epicenter blew a little bit south of where we were. So I lived, but after that, I was completely, well, so I had this footage, right? I had taken a bunch of video footage from the day, from the typhoon. Wow. Where I was actually on the roof of a hotel mm-hmm. filming this thing. And then I managed the next morning, I managed to, I still had a little cell phone signal because there was no power. So I managed to upload it to YouTube and sent it off into the world. Didn't think anything of it. It became like an international phenomenon wow. just because just because no one else had any footage of this typhoon. So it was on like CNN and Good Morning America. They were interviewing me, cool. like Anderson Cooper and like uh, media <laughs> all over the world. And I didn't do anything special. It was just because yeah. of my footage, you know, but so that was an interesting experience. But after that, then I was sort of stranded where yeah. uh, my ATM cards didn't work. I didn't have any place to go like this and that. So wow. In the book, Queens of Dragontown, I basically talk about being displaced and sort of being persona non grata, hmm. where you, you're, you, you know, you don't have means, you can't get money, you can't travel, you don't have a passport anymore, and you're sort of stuck. And seeing a part of society that, you know, is not as glamorous, and it was basically um, examining social issues and the disparities of poverty in society um, from that lens. Yeah. So if you read it, it makes sense, but it basically shows, you know, the bottom up of life wow. and, and everything I saw and what I learned and the, the, you know, what people, what good, good people have to do bad things just to survive. Yeah. Um, and so it's a, yeah, it's a lot more human story, I think, than the first two. And the good thing is, other than the very beginning, it's not about me. I'm not the main character. <laughs> it's just basically I'm a fly on the wall, you know, huh. observing life and observing these people and stuff did you find it easier to write this or the other books where it was your own perspective yeah good question i i think i got better as i know i got better as a writer um you know you learn by doing and then i would study you know like i would say okay this book i want to really focus on characters this book i want to focus on dialogue so i'd study and get a little better at it I think it probably was easier not being the main character. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Harder to write, but um, you know, when it's you, you can just talk about what you did and this and that. But I think more impactful, and you have more to say when it's not just a personal experience. It's it's about the world, you know. Yeah. So I think if you take those three books in sequence, it's a nice little, you know, evolution of not only my writing but you know my life and what I've done and. And now I hope to not write another book about myself ever again. <laughs> wow. but, but these days I actually still write a lot for work and I do uh, ghost writing for a lot of friends or clients. Um, so I, I'm, there's a guy named Judd Reed who's one of my best friends and he's like a karate legend. So we wow. finished his first book a couple of years ago and we're working on the second one. So cool. yeah, I'm, I'm, I love being uh, not in my books at all anymore. <laughs> wow. So- yeah. Let's talk about what you're doing now. So you work for a marketing marketing firm. Thing. Yeah, sort of. So basically when I left California, um, I was in real estate, mortgage, working for real estate attorneys and you know making good money. And when I went abroad, I was like, well, what the hell can I do? There's very limited, you know, it's like you could teach English. That's not a lot of money, but that's how yeah. people get by. But some of my past um, friends and associates we're like, well, you, you're doing all this marketing for yourself, your own businesses. Would you do some of that for us? You know, and, and back then, a lot of it was just blogging and writing and posting it on the Internet so I could still do it as I traveled. So my first client was like a credit repair company in 2012 okay. and made almost no money, you know, and then I started doing social media for clients and started doing more blogs and this and that. So basically, it's built up and I've still done it just independent it's just me and you know every once in a while i'll have an assistant or outsource something but have about 20 clients right now wow a lot of them in real estate mortgage financial planners cpas it's just basic social media and digital marketing but the nice thing is i can do it anywhere yeah so i work way too hard for too little money if i was in the states i would be you know like just above the poverty line but 
yeah. to, me, to me, it's like I have freedom where I could do it from an airport. I could do it in the Philippines. I could come back to Connecticut. Yeah. During a pandemic, I could still keep working. And so to me, even though it's not big money, the freedom it affords me is absolutely invaluable. That's yeah. really cool. I was going to ask that because it surprised me that you were kind of back in the business world, but now it makes sense because you have kind of a balance between traveling and experiencing it. And you got to eat, you know, you got to eat, you got to pay bills. And the hard thing in life is, is figuring out your passion and then monetizing it. Yeah. You always want to do it that way. You don't just want to go for the money, do something you love that you're passionate about and then figure it out. And you'll have ups and downs and you'll stumble, but stumble forward. But eventually you'll figure out a way to, you know, make enough money. And, and maybe it's, you know, like for me, I would love to be doing just really cool nonfiction books and travel writing. But I have to write about, you know, tax law some days. It's not very sexy, yeah. but it pays the bills. And like I said, ultimately it allows me to travel and do what I love. So it's a really nice, happy medium. So, yeah. 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 Good advice. That's yeah, awesome. How about, so how about you? Where Where's next on your travel bucket list when all of this crazy pandemic stuff is over? Um, That's a really good question. I think I probably want to go back to Spain because as I said before, I got kind of sent home during COVID. I want to do the Camino de Santiago or mm. I want to do a big through hike in the U.S. Mm. Interesting. I've never done that. It scares me to death. I I don't know. I did a little bit of camping. I camped for like 23 days without taking a shower my freshman year. Oh my God, so. that's a long time. That's great. Yeah, so it was really fun, but. Now, where was that, that camping trip? I was in Minnesota. I was in the Boundary oh. Waters. So yeah, yeah I, I don't really know. Like, I think my mind isn't really, actually my dream is to get my yoga teacher training in Thailand or mm. India or somewhere like that. And I know you've been there. Indonesia is a big one too. Okay. Indonesia is really good for travelers. Yeah. Mm. A lot of people do that, you know, and I talk about in South the Normal, everyone yeah. was like a personal chef slash surf instructor slash <laughs> yoga teacher slash, you know, like, that's but cool. that's one thing. There's a lot of yoga communities around the world and yeah. you can get your teach. I'm actually friends with some people that do teacher trainings and um, that's yeah, awesome. that's a really cool way to, <laughs> to see the world, but have a good vibe and do something healthy. Yeah, I think definitely I should contact you about that because I'm, I'm kind of at a crossroads because I thought maybe I should get it now because of COVID, but then I'm like, no, I want to do it somewhere crazy. Like I want yeah. the, I want the real experience. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So somewhere fun. Yeah. What about you? Where are you going after COVID? Probably back to the Philippines? Back to the Philippines. Yeah, the girlfriend's still over there. I'm actually, uh, November 2nd, I'm flying to Las Vegas, and I'm sort of going to wait out the winter and spring in Las Vegas, believe it or not. Cool. And not at all because I'm going anywhere near the strip or casinos or party. Yeah. I'm not that guy. But um, I wanted a warm weather place. Mm -hmm. And if you get away from the strip, it's actually pretty cool in Las Vegas and in Nevada with like beautiful hiking and mountain biking and natural parks. And it'll be warm enough where I won't freeze my butt off, you know, like in Wisconsin <laughs> or in Connecticut. Yeah, I'm jealous. Yeah. And it's, you know, I, I could go to California. I know a lot of people there, but the whole problem is I know a lot of people there. So, you know, then you end up going out and eating and drinking yeah. and, you know, I'm trying to just lay low and be safe. So cool. I'll be in, I'll be in Nevada and just chilling and hiking and biking every day and, Maybe, maybe starting the next book, who knows? But yeah, uh, that's awesome. I, I hope, uh, I really hope like early next year or, or springtime next year, I'll be able to go back to the Philippines and, and start it all over again. Yeah, that's really cool. I'm so jealous of everything. I definitely want to check out the Philippines. I think it's definitely a unique place and I've never been to Asia. I think it would be cool. It's amazing. It's amazing. It's so different, but and yeah. it's safer. It really is safer okay. than Latin America. But Philippines is fascinating because mm -hmm. I always say my favorite Latin American country is the Philippines. <laughs> it has way more to do with like Latin American or Central American countries than it does yeah. with its Asian neighbors. Because huh. it was colonized by the Spanish. Yeah. So even if you go over there, some of the, you know, it's 95% Roman Catholic. A lot of the language yeah. is very similar. The customs, like... Oh. So it's, it's like an Asian country with the Spanish backdrop. It's really, really, oh. yeah. 
So uh, yeah, you and yours come anytime, you know, uh, you could get cheap flights over to Asia and then you just yeah. need to know where to go and someone to show you around. So you guys are always welcome. Cool. Definitely. Yeah. I'd love to reconnect in the Philippines. I didn't, I guess I never realized the Spanish influence, but I'm a Spanish. Totally work out. That would be really cool. Yeah. Weird cool. the connections, you know? And it's interesting, like you'll see these churches that look like old Catholic churches mm -hmm. and you'll hear the words, oh, that's a Spanish word, but then you'll see it wow. spelled and it's spelled completely differently than huh. Spanish because the Filipinos, yeah. they didn't go to school. They just, they just heard things phonetically and that's how they formed <laughs> the language. So it's, it's, I love these little cultural nuances, the little weird, I'm such a culture geek that yeah. that stuff, you know, it, it entertains me. So the Philippines is definitely, and then the, of course the beaches, the islands, it's just yeah. second to none. So cool. anytime, come on over. Yeah. All right. That's amazing. Yeah. Once COVID's over, I think everyone's just going to be traveling as much as they can. Yeah. It's yeah. time to hit the road after that. Huh? <laughs> yeah. Uh, definitely. Um, I guess we're kind of wrapping it up, but hmm, I have a couple more questions. Yeah, sure. Um, I don't know what to ask because I have so many that I want. I guess, okay. Um, well, after, after I send you Queens of Dragontown, yeah, I would love to beg to be on your show again yes, if, you, if you have the time because I, I really would love to get your opinion on that one. Yeah, well, I make the time. I I love this. I love meeting. Like this is this made my week. <laughs> I loved your writing from day one. Like, oh, I appreciate so, it. Yeah, it's it's awesome, and I think it's so cool to have this platform to be able to connect with, like you as an author. I would never be able to do that, and yeah. so it's crazy. Um, yeah. I guess yeah. Let's postpone my other questions then. I have one question that I ask everyone. Okay. Last question. Um, yeah. If you could go anywhere in the world, where would you not go? Where would I not go? I would not go to the King's Inn in Caracas, Venezuela. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. That's a good answer. I think <laughs> for that was obvious reasons, answer. right? For obvious reasons. <laughs> but I would actually, and I actually have gone back to um, in Costa Rica outside San Jose and saw the Apartmentos Williams again. Oh. That's like cool. 10 years later, 15 years later, and took photos. And it, it just looked like the same place. But for me, it was sentimental. And, but yeah. pork chop wasn't there. So. <laughs> wow. That's amazing. Good answer. Yeah. I think that was the best answer anyone's ever given me. So, <laughs> yeah. Well, we will definitely have a part two after I read your next book. But thank you so much for being on my show. This was an amazing conversation. I had a great time and I really appreciate it. And you, you're doing a wonderful job with the podcast. So keep up the good work, huh? Thanks. All right. Thanks. So that was my interview with Norm Shriver. Again, I cannot recommend his books enough. He has such amazing stories and his stories are very unique, especially during the era of COVID. I totally recommend you read as many travel books as you can just because we can't actually travel. So thanks for tuning into Going Places. I will keep you guys updated with a part two for Norm, but thanks for listening. Bye.